0: Interesting title for a sermon this week, Snake on a Stick. I, I shared that with Matt, and he sounds like, that sounds like bad street vendor food, man. Like, what are, we, what are we talking about this week? And he's not wrong. Like, I'm not going to get Snake on a Stick anytime soon. That sounds terrible. But this week, we're going to continue our series, Living the Gospel and Making Our Way Through the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 3. Last week, we looked at the first miracle of Jesus, how he turned water into wine, and what that meant for the bridegroom, and how that miracle affected and began the training of his disciples. We saw how we fill both shoes. We are the ones who are being trained and prepared for the ministries that God has called us to, and we are the bridegroom who is in desperate need of being saved. Thanks be to God, who through Christ Jesus accomplishes all that we need and more than we could hope or imagine. As we enter the third chapter of John this week, there are quite a few places that we could focus. This, this chapter is, is loaded. The chapter starts out with Jesus having a rooftop secret conversation with a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees are a group of church leaders who don't much care for Jesus. He's just not their guy. They think he's an upstart. He's a distraction. They view him as dangerous, and as his following grows, they are the ones that orchestrate his betrayal and ultimate death. It's not that they necessarily have a problem with him as a person, right? I mean, they don't necessarily get to know him that well, but it's that they have an issue with his message. What he is teaching doesn't jibe with what they have figured out for themselves over all of these years, The teachings of Jesus don't coincide with their traditions and teachings, and so they view him as a heretic, and they view his removal as necessary. But not all Pharisees were sold on Jesus being a heretic. Some of them saw the truth of his message and wanted to know more. One of these was a man named Nicodemus. Now, because of his station and because of Jesus' reputation, Nicodemus met Jesus at night and in secret, and during their conversation, which takes place in the first 21 verses of, the chap- of chapter 3 of John, Jesus lays out the gospel for this confused Pharisee. Here we have language about how in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, a person must be born again. And though we today may understand how Jesus is referring to a spiritual rebirth, that concept was foreign to Nicodemus, and he was struggling to understand how a person would enter the womb of their mother to experience rebirth. We today know that Jesus was talking about baptism. For in verse 5 and 6, we read, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Here we see baptism being born of the water and the Spirit as a spiritual birth, a spiritual beginning. Paul later writes how through baptism we die with Jesus, and through baptism we are brought back to life with Jesus. Our old self has died, and our new self has been born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus wonders. In response, Jesus rebukes him, stating that he is one of Israel's teachers, and this should be something he is able to grasp, and then Jesus makes a reference to a story from Israel's history. Now, obviously, Again, there is a ton of content that we could be wading through as we look at this text and this conversation between Jesus and and the Pharisee. But as we look at the theme of our series, Living in the Gospel, we're going to spend our time working through this reference to a story from the Old Testament and exploring the parallel that Jesus is drawing and then asking the question, how does this relate to us as we strive to live the gospel today? If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to John 3 and we'll be looking at only two verses this morning, verses 15 or yeah, 14 and 15. If you don't have your Bibles with you, there should be one in the pew in front of you or you are welcome to follow along with the words that will be up on the screens. We read the word of the Lord this morning. John 3:14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, this seems like a strange jump to make. Going from born again to a well-known story about Moses and a bronze snake in the wilderness. Or is it that well-known? The story itself only takes five verses in the book of Numbers chapter 21. At the time, the Israelites have left Egypt and they are wandering around in the wilderness. They are, as a nation, moving around in the same area over and over again which must have been kind of strange. We see them here in Numbers 21. They are moving along the banks of the Red Sea. Now, they know that their ultimate goal, their intended destination, is the land that God has promised them, right? The land overflowing with milk and honey, but God isn't taking them there yet. And so they are moving along the banks of the Red Sea, and that must have been a little weird because this is the same body of water that God parted for them when they, that they might walk across it on dry land and escape the Egyptians all that time ago. They know that they are moving slowly and seemingly in circles. They know that if Moses would just lead them in a straight line. They'd be where they want to be, but they also know that they have to follow the directions of God, and so they're just wandering in the wilderness. And eventually, that gets to people, and they begin to crack. Why did you bring us out of Egypt just for us to die in this stinking wilderness? The people asked Moses. At least there we had good food here, the food tastes like garbage. It's the same thing over and over again. I'm sick of it. We want water. We want comfortable beds. We want life to be a little easier. Where is the God who brought us up out of Israel, and why isn't he bringing us comfort? In response to their whining, the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. The snakes bit people, and many Israelites died. In response, the people came to Moses and said, we were wrong, All right? Waving the white flag. We were wrong. We sinned when we spoke against God and against you. Pray for us. Pray that the Lord would take the snakes away from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And in response to Moses' prayer, God gave him some instructions. Make a snake of bronze and and put it on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses did. He made a snake of bronze, and he put it on a pole in the middle of the camp, And whenever someone was bitten by one of the snakes, they only had to look at the snake on the pole and they would live. As I thought about Jesus' statement to Nicodemus and the bronze snake in this story in the book of Numbers, I wondered myself what are the snakes that we put on sticks? What are the things that we look to for help, that we look to when we are in need? What are the things that we believe will get us out of the difficult situations? That we find ourselves in. It's pretty easy for us to relate to the Israelites wandering the same places in the wilderness, isn't it? We live our lives on this earth just as the Israelites were waiting on the promise of God to bring them to the promised land, so we are waiting on the promise of God to make all things new. We are waiting for a time when sin will be no more, when earthly struggles and health and finances and pain won't be a thing that causes us stress and hardship anymore. But we're not there yet. And so we wander the wilderness of life, waiting on the promises of God, and sometimes, maybe more times than we'd like to admit, we get frustrated with the circumstances that God has brought us. What are the things that we look to that we think would make this life easier that would maybe even give us life? What are our snakes on a stick? Is it money? For some of us, it's it's money. If we could get out of debt, if we could buy that house we've been dreaming of, if we could get some nicer things, man, we'd be, we'd be happier. Life would be easier. It would... It would relieve so much stress and anxiety. We'd, we'd get to take those vacations that our kids have been begging for. We could focus on other stressors. Man, if we just had more money, life would be so much better. For some of us, it's health. Our bodies, they, they freak us out. They, they aren't working like we want them to, like, like we know that they should. They are prone to sickness and disease. If we could just be healthy, maybe lose some weight, we need to lose. And not have to worry about cancer or diabetes or COVID or body parts failing. Man, how much more simple would life be? How much less stressful would life be? How freeing it would be to not have to worry about the pains that I feel that I can't explain. No longer having to dread the doctor's office and being able to live a healthy life. A life that was intended to be lived as life was intended to be lived. Yeah, that would be be great. For some of us, it's relationships. We're lonely and distant. We want people to relate to, to be in our lives, people that won't hurt us. We've had relationships that have backfired. We've been abused. We've been broken. We've been betrayed and abandoned. We, we just want to feel loved. We just want to feel like we are important, like someone cares about us and, and that we matter. We want to believe that we have intrinsic value that we are important and special because of who we are and not what others can use us for. We want to believe. We want to believe that. But we haven't really experienced it, not for a long time. If someone could love us well, yeah, that would be great. I don't know what your snake on a stick is, but you have one. You know that area of life that feels empty, that brings stress, that area of your life that is weighing you down. Sometimes it feels like it's killing you. And maybe none of the examples that I brought up, but we each have snake bites, we each have things in life that are, that are killing us, that are wearing us down, and so there are snakes on sticks that we look to hoping that they will give us life. What's your snake on a stick? What are the things that you are chasing after that you hope will bring healing to the brokenness And how is that going? How are you doing with that? In our text this morning, Jesus puts himself on that stick. As the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus puts himself on the cross as the answer to what ails us because Christ is the one who will keep his promises. All those other false idols that we lift up, that we put on the stick, they don't work. They will betray us. They write checks that bounce. They don't have the power to heal the brokenness that is causing the rest of our issues. Money can't fix the problems of the world. People have tried. But as the song goes, "More money, more problems. Health can't heal the brokenness of Sin. People in great shape and poor shape are still afflicted with disease, and our bodies don't last forever. Eventually, they will fade. So can health truly last? No, it fades like the flower in the field. And the love and respect we seek from other people can only be given by other broken people, and so it will be given imperfectly. No matter how much you care for someone, you will at times hurt them and be hurt by them. I don't know what your snake on the stick is, but when we see the past ideal, when we see past the ideal, when we realize the reality of what it is that we are yearning for, seeking after, we realize that the promises made by any other snake on a stick, anything else that we have lifted up besides Christ is hollow. Only Christ can keep his promises. The only healing for the brokenness of this world is Christ on the stick Christ on the cross but even when we look to Christ on the cross we can have our issues can't we we look at what took place in the wilderness with Moses and the Israelites and see that when they looked at the snake on the stick they were healed And it's natural for us to then make the assumption that when we look at Christ on the cross, those problems that we are dealing with, the brokenness that we are fighting and that is oppressing us should also be healed, right? We can form this expectation that because we're Christians, because we believe, and because God loves us, that when we look to the cross, everything is going to be great. He's going to heal it all. And church, He will. He will heal it all one day. He will heal all of it one day we will all be made new and that day could be today it it could be tomorrow and it could be a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now God will keep his promise to make all things new but just because God loves us and just because we look to Christ on the cross for our hope in times of struggle that does not mean that we are spared the journey One of the things I found interesting as I looked at the situation with Moses and the Israelites taking place in Numbers 21 was that all we are told is that the people that looked at the snake on the stick lived. It doesn't say that they were healed right away on the spot. It just says that they lived. Now, I did some Googling on snake bite poisons, and I couldn't find anything that says, yeah, this one doesn't really hurt that bad. Most of them are like, extremely painful, kills very quickly. The people of Israel were getting snake bites, and so it follows that they were experiencing a lot of pain from these bites. Nowhere in the text does it say they were spared the pain. Nowhere does it say that as soon as they looked at that snake on the stick that all the symptoms of their snake bite disappeared. The poison was still working its way through their bodies. They still had the repercussions, the consequences of the bite to deal with, but they did not need to fear death. For when they looked at the snake on the stick, they were promised life. And so it is for us. Knowing Christ and trusting in Christ, looking to Christ on the cross, does not spare us the reality of the broken world that we live in and the sinful hearts that beat in our chests. We still deal with the consequences of living in a world that has been corrupted by sin, the sin that we introduced to it in the Garden of Eden. We still live with the repercussions of a life lived in sin. But what we can look to, what we can put our faith in, our hope in, is that when we look to the cross, we will live. Not here in this life, all men die. But in the next, in eternity, looking to Christ on the cross is accepting that we can't make it right. It recognizes that we don't have the ability to fix the brokenness that is inside us. It is looking to the one who came to reconcile us with God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, holy and perfect, humbled himself and was born into the frailty of humanity. He lived with us, ate with us, felt hunger and thirst with us. He was uncomfortable in the heat with us and shivered in the cold with us. God became man. And though he was perfect and though he healed the sick, ministered to the poor and cast out demons, though he was a blessing, there were some that despised him. And this led to his betrayal, a rigged trial and a bribed jury. And so it was that this perfect man, this Son of God, carried a cross up a hill. The cross was reserved for the worst of crimes. It was the most embarrassing way to go. Lifted up. Publicly humiliated in a slow and agonizing death. Now our text this morning says that the Son of Man would be lifted up. And there's a physical aspect to that statement. The lifting up of Jesus as he hung there on the cross. But the lifting up that we find in John 3, 14 holds a deeper meaning. It was not just the physical lifting up that Jesus was referencing in his conversation with Nicodemus. He was talking also about the lifting up, the exalting of the Son of Man. For as Christ hung there on that cross, what could be seen as a moment of weakness, of humiliation, was truly a moment of power and a display of the immense strength and love Of God, For on that cross, Jesus took the sin of the world. He took all of your sin and all of my sin and all the sins of those that have come before and all the sins of those that will come after. And he paid for them on the cross. So though we could see the cross as a moment of weakness for Christ, it was truly a moment of strength. For there he did what he had come to do. There he bore the burden of sin for the entire world and there he reconciled us to God. Because of Christ's work on the cross, because he was lifted up, anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. This is how our question from the beginning is answered. How does this story of a snake on a stick relate to us as we strive to live the gospel today? It points us to the cross. It points us To the one who was lifted up for our sake, it points us to the only place we can look if we want to live, if we want to live in the gospel. How fitting it is that directly following our passage this morning is the most famous text in scripture. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is why Jesus came. He came to be lifted up so that those who look to him would have eternal life. Not life eternal here on this world and amidst the pain and the hurt that this broken world holds, but life forever with him, made new, perfect in heaven. This is the promise that we rest in. This is the promise that he will keep. And then let's keep reading with verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This has always been the plan. We see it in the garden. As as soon as God passes down the judgment, the curse on Adam and Eve, as soon as the world is broken, God gives us the plan in Genesis 3.15, the plan through which he will save us, those who had just broken his heart and betrayed his trust. This is our God. This is what he wants for us. This is his hope for each and every one of us and each and every one in the whole world. Jesus has not come to condemn, but to save. We're condemned already. We don't need him to do that for us. We did that to ourselves. Without him, we are condemned. No, he didn't come to condemn, but to save. For God so loved the world. This is exciting stuff, guys. This is our hope. This is what we live in, that Christ was exalted and that through his being lifted up, we have a hope and a future. Trusting on Christ, trusting in Christ on the cross is living in the gospel. And man, that's that's good news. That's hope for the hopeless. How thankful I am for a God who saves. How thankful I am for a God who allowed himself to be lifted onto a cross paying the debt that I had no ability to pay. And though I live in a world that is broken, a world that overwhelms with financial struggles and physical limitations and pains and emotional wounds, how thankful I am for a God that promises to be with us through the journey. He has not abandoned us. He has not neglected us. He has positioned himself on a cross that we might look to him and be reminded of the promises that he has made and that he will keep. That we might be reminded of the promise we have of eternal life, eternal life in a place without brokenness, a place without sin. How thankful I am for a God that provides. How thankful I am for a God who has given us good news and how thankful I am for Jesus. What a fantastic, wonderful, amazing, and gracious God we serve. Amen.